earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today is part 15 in our current series, The Acts of the Resurrection Life. And if you missed any parts, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Our title today, Led Astray by the Gospel, brings us to Acts chapter 19, as we continue our thematic journey through the book of Acts, tracing the manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit in the day-to-day lives and ministry of the followers of Jesus. But before we set our sights on chapter 19, I'd like to share with you a true story about a college professor who went to the Fiji Islands and visited a tribe of cannibals. This professor just happened to be an agnostic and had no reservations whatsoever about criticizing Christianity to one of the tribal chiefs. He remarked, You're a great leader, but it's a pity you've been taken in by those foreign missionaries. They just want to use you to get rich. No one really believes in the Bible anymore. People are tired of that threadbare story of Christ dying on a cross for the sins of mankind. We know better now. I'm so sorry you've been duped into accepting their story. It's so foolish. Well, after the professor's rant... This old chief raised his eyebrows and patiently responded to the professor with his own rant. Sir, do you see that great rock over there? We used to smash the heads of our victims on that rock. And do you notice that now unused furnace right next to it? We used to roast the bodies of our enemies in that oven. Professor, if it hadn't been for those kind foreign missionaries, and the love of Jesus that changed us from being cannibals to becoming Christians, you'd never leave this village alive. You'd better thank the Lord Jesus Christ for the good news. Otherwise, we'd be feasting on you right now. If it weren't for the Bible, you would be our dinner right about now. Friends, as we have been observing, when the Holy Spirit comes on people, what do they receive? Power. And if there's one word that characterizes the effect of the gospel, the good news, in our lives, next to power, it's change. Do you remember former President Clinton's campaign slogan? Change. We all want change. Friends, the power that comes into our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit is not only power to serve and be witnesses for Christ, but this power is power to change. Have we forgotten that the gospel is about change? In other words, we no longer live the way we used to live, right? Well, 
Discipleship is also about change. Shouldn't it be, friends, that the most telling sign that we're truly growing in the Lord is that we're changing? And shouldn't it be that as Christ followers our lives are to be in a continual process of change? A change that manifests itself in our becoming more and more like Jesus in both words and deeds? Well, friends, today we're going to look at Paul's missionary efforts in the city of Ephesus, as described in Acts chapter 19. But first, I'd like us to hear what he would later write to the Ephesian unbelieving pagans who became believers. This is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. Notice, friends, Paul includes himself here as a former religious Jew, yet not in a relationship with his God. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. There he goes again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved." And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Friends, notice the contrast of the past and present life. We shouldn't be the same person we were last year, even the same person we were last month. Are we harboring the same bad attitudes, ill feelings, or suspicions toward other people? If so, I have to tell you, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit and his power that brings change to work in our lives. We're actually stunting our own spiritual growth or progress. Friends, I can tell you with 100% certainty that one thing the Spirit is not is stagnant. The Christian life is marked by continual growth and change. You may recall I've quoted Mark Twain who said, The only person who likes change is a wet baby. I know change is not easy, but with the Spirit's power, change is a must. Notice that for the early first century pagan converts, change occurred by switching from a previously held belief system usually belief in the Greco-Roman mythological gods, to another belief system, the system that comes with the gospel message that there is only one true and living God. These first century converts now embrace the fact that salvation from sin is only through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of this one true and living God, and only Messiah of both Jews and Gentiles. And that this one, true and living God, was not a local, territorial, or regional God, but rather was the creator of the universe and everything in it. The God who revealed himself first through the Jewish people by sending a promised Messiah who was the Savior, not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. In other words, everyone on planet Earth. 
and that this Messiah proved he was the Savior of the world by dying and raising from the dead in the flesh. By dying on the cross, his blood made atonement for the sins of anyone who repented, Jew or Gentile. In other words, he brought at one mint between us and God. So this message was starting to penetrate the pagan population in the Greco-Roman world through the Apostle Paul. Last time, you may recall, we saw how the Holy Spirit's power and providence directed Paul to be in Athens, Greece. And it's interesting, friends, that some scholars write off Paul's missionary efforts in Athens as a failure, saying that his biggest mistake was watering down the gospel for his Greek pagan audience, never mentioning the name Jesus. But that's not true at all. In Acts 17, the account of Paul in Athens, he preached Jesus and the resurrection to the Athenian, Epicurean, and Stoic philosophers. In fact, this idea is mentioned twice. In Greek, Jesus and the resurrection would be Aesos and the Anastasis to the pagan philosophers well versed in the Greco-Roman pantheon of gods. They interpreted this as Paul advocating a foreign mythological god named Aesos and his female consort goddess Anastasis. It appears they took the word Anastasis as a female proper noun. Now, it's fun to realize our English equivalent names, Anastasia or even Stacy. You see, friends, the point is that preaching the physical or bodily resurrection of Jesus to the pagan mind steeped in a belief system that held that the physical universe or matter was evil and only spirit was good was not an easy thing. That's why these pagan philosophers called Paul a babbler. This is a colorful word they used, but it was also a demeaning nickname. It literally means seed picker. In this first century culture, it originally referred to birds that snatched up seed, but later came to mean people who wandered around the marketplace picking up scraps of food. So, these philosophers of the day grafted this term into their vocabulary to mean people who snatched up scraps of learning from others and peddled them as their own without understanding them. It amazes me, friends, that despite the cultural communication gap, the Holy Spirit touched a handful of people who became believers in Jesus. True, Paul never started a church there in Athens, but thankfully some believed his message. And so, the gospel challenged the prevailing philosophical understanding of the world at that time. Perhaps today it might be like Hugh Ross or Philip Johnson or Michael Behe going into one of our major secular universities and attempting to convince evolutionary biologists or science professors that Darwinism is a flawed and faulty theory and that there is sufficient evidence to point to an intelligent designer. And this intelligent designer is none other than the God of the Bible, who created everything we see. With reference to Paul, the scriptures testify to his willingness to be obedient to the power and providence of the Holy Spirit, and proclaim the good news wherever he found himself, and left the results to the Holy Spirit. He planted the seeds, others watered them, and the increase was left in God's hands, per 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. 
This is just speculation on my part, but just suppose Dionysius the Areopagite, the woman Damaris, and those few philosophers who did believe Paul's message on Mars Hill eventually formed a house church. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Well, chapter 18 reveals that Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and despite the resistance and opposition he faced from unbelieving Jews there, God gave him a wonderful promise in verses 9 through 11. After Corinth, Paul continued his travels and made sure he connected with believers in several regions to encourage and strengthen them. So now, in chapter 19, verse 1, we learn that Paul made his way to Ephesus, where he met some disciples and asked them a curious question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? For us 21st century Christ followers, that's definitely an odd question, right? Imagine you met an old friend at the mall who told you he got saved recently. Would your response be, Oh, by the way, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And wouldn't it be equally odd if your friend responded with, I've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, as these disciples in Ephesus replied to Paul's question. As this account unfolds in chapter 19, we find that these disciples had been told about Jesus through John the Baptist's preparatory ministry, as the Gospels outline for us. But evidently, they had not yet been exposed to the fullness of the Gospel message. So, Paul lays hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, according to verse 6. Now, friends, we need to be careful that this doesn't become a thorny issue. As verse 6 says, these new disciples spoke in tongues and prophesied. The book of Acts follows a pattern laid down in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Present at Pentecost were 15 language groups represented by all the visitors to the festival. Chapter 2, verse 8 is often translated as native language, as the visitors heard the preaching in their own dialect, so to speak. In our generation, it may be likened to what the French call the lingua franca, their native tongue, meaning their native language. Evidently, the book of Acts lays down a pattern of the gospel advancing into non-Jewish territory. We see this in Acts 10, at the house of Cornelius, where his family and friends broke out into speaking in tongues and praising God. And now, here in chapter 19, it is likely these disciples were Greek believers as the gospel advances deeper into pagan cities in the empire. And even though this pattern emerges, it is not a pattern set in stone, as Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 demonstrates. So, friends, let us not be presumptuous and insist that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, it will always be accompanied by speaking in tongues. If there's one thing the book of Acts teaches us, it's that we cannot and must not put the Holy Spirit in a box. The scriptures don't, so neither should we. In verses 8 through 10, the text once again describes Paul's general pattern. He goes into the synagogue and boldly and persuasively argues about the kingdom of God and then shares the word of the Lord with the Greeks so that both Jews and Greeks in that province of Asia hear the message. And as we've learned before, this was not always smooth sailing. Verses 8 and 9 record that Paul experienced opposition while arguing in the synagogue. So he moved on to the Greeks and told them the message, once again trusting in the power and providence of the Holy Spirit. 
Friends, perhaps we need to be doing more of that. It's no coincidence we live where we live, shop where we shop, and work where we work. Perhaps we need to have our spiritual antenna up and tuned in to the signals the Holy Spirit is sending us so we can let our light shine into the lives of people around us. Well, Paul's miracle mission is elaborated on in verses 11 and 12 as the sick and demon-possessed were healed in dramatic ways. But then Luke includes a curious account in verses 13 through 16 calling our attention to what I call fake displays of power, or some faking change, distinguished with the real power and real change that was displayed through Paul. Even the Apostle Paul had to put up with the shenanigans of people trying to imitate what he did without the Spirit's power. Here's how Luke tells the story. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now the amazing thing here, friends, is that the Holy Spirit is even able to redeem this situation and turn it around for the good of the gospel. The account continues in verse 17 with, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery or the magic arts brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. Now listen to the outcome. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And let's not forget, friends, the continuing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 tells us, After this happened, Paul decided, or purposed in the Spirit, as the Greek reads, to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. Well, Paul's experience in Ephesus can't end with a, without a riot breaking out. This portion goes all the way to the end of chapter 19, from verses 23 to 41. It's a great story, friends, so please read it all the way through. Because the riot stemmed from a spiritual battle, a battle over idols, and particularly over an idol of the female goddess Artemis. Again, spiritual opposition of a demonic nature. Paul's exorcisms are creating a stir in a city with shrines to this female goddess Artemis, so much so that one silversmith is feeling the loss of business. So he called a powwow with his fellow craftsmen and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He said that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Well, friends, this silversmith goes on to say that their temple to the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and that Artemis herself will be robbed of her divine majesty. 
the group of craftsmen became furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon everyone was in an uproar, and in their frenzy they seized two of Paul's traveling companions, Gaius and Aristarchus from Macedonia. The crowd then rushed everyone into the theater. This assembly was now in total confusion. Some were shouting one thing and others another thing. A lot of the people didn't even know why they were there. Paul wanted to make an appeal to the crowd, but the disciples present dissuaded him. Even some of the province's officials got word to him, begging him to not venture into the theater. Well, this meeting ended up going viral, and the whole city was in an uproar. For two hours, people shouted at the top of their lungs, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Their belief was that their city, Ephesus, was the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven. Well, our story in chapter 19 ends with the city clerk finally calming the crowd down and redirecting their energy and grievances to the city courts and the court proconsuls, which were open for business. Friends, did you hear the phrase I read in verse 26, where Demetrius the silversmith said in his meeting that Paul led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus? This is where I got my title for today's program, Led Astray by the Gospel. Now, that sounds pretty odd to us 21st century Christians, doesn't it? Because we so passionately believe that we have the true story, and others who believe differently are the ones who've gone astray, right? Well, since the prevailing religious belief system in the first century Greco-Roman world was the pantheon of many gods, to them, the gospel was leading people astray. So, the gospel was a competing belief system viewed as leading people astray. You may recall that a while back I mentioned that Gentile pagan converts to Christianity were looked at as atheists because they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, as Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. You see, friends, the idol craftsmen knew that when people embraced this newfangled religion and became followers of Jesus Christ, their lives evidenced a change. In other words, their former associations and tools of the trade were abandoned. And interestingly enough, their worship practices changed as well, as we saw when those practicing magic arts confessed their idolatry and burned their sorcery books. And only then did the word of the Lord spread widely and grow in power. Per verse 20. Well, friends, even in today's culture and society, we Christ followers are being viewed as people who've gone completely out of our minds. Some politicians are even leveling insinuations like this at us publicly and through the media. So, friends, the question we all need to be asking ourselves is, can we, like Paul and his missionary buddies, face these affronts bravely and courageously and stand up for the Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and revolutionized our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit? And can we do this regardless of the cost? Can you say amen? I sincerely hope so, friends. Amen. Well, friends, I can see that we're nearing the end of our program. 
Today's broadcast will be closing with an email where you may write to me. I'd love to hear your feedback on these teachings and what this program means or has meant to you. A listener recently wrote in regarding Part 12, the installment on Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council, saying, Great message as always. It's nice to know that some meetings have a purpose that makes sense. Laugh out loud. Blessings and thanks. Well, thank you for your encouraging feedback and sharing with me what impacted you the most. And remember, friends, all of the podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu icon for local program podcasts. Additionally, the podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please feel free to share these podcasts with family or friends who may be touched, blessed, or even challenged by these teachings. And friends, A Word from the Word is now being rebroadcast weekly at ChristianBody.net. Just check ChristianBody.net for their program schedule. And please keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. So if it's blessing you or edifying you, please become a part of the support team. Faithful supporters like you are helping to keep this program on the air. Just write me and ask for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at awordfromtheword at minister.com. That's awordfromtheword at minister.com.